Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Betsy Summers and Vice President Principal Analyst Katie Tynan to discuss Forrester's 2023 Future of Work predictions. Welcome both. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's great to be here. So Katie and Betsy, in 2023, uh, we're really looking at a balancing act between employees' expectations and all of the economic concerns that we have out there. So that is truly going to reshape this year's predictions around the future of work. But before we get into that, and I want you to talk about some of the inputs going into this year's predictions, I don't want everybody to think we future of work, we're going straight on. AI and automation, and that's what we're predicting here. We're looking at the employee customer experiences, that whole dimension. So let's just frame it up real quick and just talk about the key inputs for 2023 predictions. Yeah, I think when we think about the future of work here at Forrester, we're thinking about a range of different things that are changing and transforming. And in the day-to-day, sometimes those things feel small, but over time they build on each other and become more significant. So we've seen, for example, things like AI and automation having an impact on how people work, but also in more significant ways, we've seen shifts in things like how employees relate to their employers, who has power in that dynamic, what data we have to know our employees and to know our workforce as well as what we're most familiar with in recent years around systemic risk. How are these changes in the ecosystem in which we live changing what we do at work, how we feel about our work, how productive we are at work, all of those things. So I think the dominant narratives that we've heard over the last year that have really been inputs to that future of work conversation have been the aftershocks and maybe some of these still shocks of the pandemic as well as global uncertainty and instability, as well as economic uncertainty. And so if I were going to write an overarching theme, it is uncertainty. People are navigating through a tremendous amount of personal and professional uncertainty, and companies are trying to figure out how to deal with that as well as individuals. And so let's get into that uncertainty or that that concern for the stress that's going on because when we came through the pandemic there was so much empathy for employees we were all in on that and the world a lot of things were going on and so the employee power narrative really got emphasized but in the economic climate that we're going in there the balance of employee power has to be in question here. Are you finding that in 2023? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in part because of what Katie said about the the effects of the pandemic, that we've gone through a lot of change and uncertainty in just two years, that so much for, especially for employees has changed. The where they work, the how they work, the why they work. It was in some parts a great reckoning or reconsideration about uh, how they work and why. And right now we're seeing just a lot of pendulum swings in terms of the, the headlines that we get 
from one side across the other, from great resignation, we have tight talent markets, no one wants to work, what is quiet quitting, oh no, what about quiet firing, all of these headlines zoom past us and they create a lot of chaos in just two years. And so uh, on one side, yes, we could we could talk about the swings in employee power, but really what we're only talking about is the span of what's happened in two years. And, and that might be pretty limiting in scope. As we've seen across a decade, we've seen quit rates increase over 10 years. We've seen the wage productivity gap widen across decades. We've seen engagement levels remain pretty static across three decades. There's a lot here that is kind of a longer term view of what's happening. And so we on the Future Work team are trying to reconcile the long term changes versus the headlines and what's grabbing people's attention. And especially when we talk to clients who are really concerned about the here and now, what we're trying to do is just give them a little bit more context and broaden their view a little bit more to say, yes, employee power is really, really important. Investing in your employee experience is really important, um, but you have to do so in a way that you can remain competitive, you can remain financially viable and helping them find that balance and maybe along the way, providing them a little bit of that, um, maybe the therapy they need to understand they're not alone and that um, the, the wild swings they're seeing are mostly a lot of media hype. So that leads us to the most perplexing of predictions, Katie, your word. What was that? I think we're seeing this really interesting paradox right now, which is ordinarily when we talk about a recession or we talk about these, these economic downturn or whatever language people want to use, it comes with an assumption that talent will become more abundant right? People will get laid off, the job market will become more challenging for employees, and therefore companies will be able to pay people less, maybe have fewer perks, all of those things. That has been the template that companies usually apply when the recession thing comes around. But in this particular case, we are in a place, and Betsy just talked about it, where long-term trends have created a situation where talent is constrained. It is constrained even when the economy is tanking, even when things are really uncertain, and even when we have things like skyrocketing inflation. So what are organizations going to do? Well, our prediction is that they will fall back on their habits. They will do the wrong thing. They will do the things they have always done. And those things are not going to be effective in this particular situation because the givens for the problem are different than they have been in the past. We will not be in a situation where talent is abundant. We will be in a situation where talent continues to be constrained. So how as an organization do you think about retaining and engaging the talent that you have when you are also constrained in terms of your resources, constrained maybe in terms of revenue or in terms of growth or in terms of competitive landscape. So that's the really tricky and interesting part to me is the math is really different right now than it has ever been. 
I think that ties nicely into another prediction that you all have made. Um, so what are firms potentially looking to do in 2023 to, to solve for that paradox? Yeah, I think a a logical, very logical outcome for talent-constrained uh, labor market is to, instead of looking externally for talent that you need to hire, you're going to look internally. And so we've made a prediction around increased talent mobility within organizations. And, you know, on the face of it, that's it's probably not a mind-blowing um, prediction, right? But the way that companies are going about um, facilitating this talent mobility is new and different. And it's also, especially with some of the new technology available, going to be a lot more, well, easy, cheaper, and it's going to facilitate other benefits for them beyond just their like people strategy or retention strategy. So a lot of the new technology available in terms of AI-powered skills ontologies and talent marketplaces, not only do they help support a more formal internal talent mobility strategy, which is more effective in the long term, right? And that's opposed to an informal talent mobility strategy, which with like the manager saying, well, who do I know who could fill that position? Oh, I know Bobby. I went to the same college as he did. Like that kind of affinity bias never really produces the right outcomes for a company. But a formal mobility program definitely does. That's where we see a lot of the more traditional benefits that you would associate with talent mobility in terms of higher performance, higher quality of hire, um, longer tenure. And so these talent marketplaces that are powered by AI um, and are really about the skills management, um, those can those can really impact uh, workforce agility. They have a lot of other use cases across the enterprise. And so the way that companies can facilitate that talent mobility is new and supercharged now. And so, of course, that's one of the areas where we would hope companies would invest in basically those employee experiences that help retain um, their employees and help attract those employees and kind of keep them in, inside the organization. Um, and so that's definitely, I mean, inc increased talent mobility, I think will be, will be one of the things that happens with the inability to find quality hires outside. You'll see companies investing in upskilling and reskilling their talent, building pipelines so they can move them around, having those talent pools accessible, being able to do smarter demand planning and workforce plans on top of that. I mean, it really is. I mean, they say that uh, constraints create creativity or beget creativity. I'm probably bastardizing that particular phrase, but uh, I think it is really true, especially with workforce agility and talent mobility use cases. So that all sounds good. And I'm going to pretend that all the layoffs that have been done so far, that companies kept their best and brightest and didn't just do ad hoc, you got to remove 10% from the budget kind of thing. Um, but everything that you said sounds expensive and it might be a little bit of odds with your other prediction was that you said that recession focused firms will slow EX investments and pay the price. Is the prediction more in the investment or is it the pay the price? Well, let's start with companies are not letting go the right people. And part of the reason they're not letting go the right people 
is what underlies what Betsy just talked about, which is most organizations don't know very much about their employees. They know their job description, they know what they hired them for, but let's say that a person has been at an organization in the same role for two and a half, three years. What are the odds they're still doing the things they were hired to do? Pretty low. What are the odds that two people in the same role have the exact same skill set? Pretty low. What are the odds those two people have the exact same aspirations for things they want to learn and grow into? Really low. So what's happening is, and we talked about this a little bit in our No More Jobs report, companies tend to think of people in boxes that surround a job description, and they tend to reduce staff by pushing some of those boxes off the proverbial ship. And then when they need new talent or they need to do new things, they bring new boxes on, but they don't think about how they're going to leverage that existing talent in a more streamlined and efficient way. So that's the first piece. People are absolutely letting go the wrong talent. The second piece though, to your question about um, cutting back on EX and paying the price is if you are constrained in your talent, don't you want the people that you have to be as absolutely productive, enabled and inspired as possible? Of course you do. So if, for example, you lay off 10% of your organization and then you cut back on the coffee and then you force everyone to come back into the office and then and then and then, guess what? Those people are going to be less engaged, they're going to do less work and you will have effectively cut your staff by 20% or even 30% in terms of your actual productivity. So our feeling is even though it's again a paradox, investing in employee experience at a time where your resources are constrained is the absolute best way to get the optimal productivity out of that constrained talent pool that you have available. Well, I just want to hit on, you know, not falling back on sort of old strategies, right? There has been a lot of transition to anywhere work, remote work, and so I'm fascinated by this conversation and your prediction on this point about what you anticipate firms doing in, in 2023. Because I, again, just a lot of competing or paradoxical, you know, things in the mix in this world. Yeah, so I think you're alluding to the prediction about companies rolling back their anywhere work strategies and, and failing. And we do expect that for a couple of reasons. And actually, I was just looking at a piece of survey data today that was again showing the delta between what executives think and what employees think. And so when you ask executives and you cut data by executive engagement, executives are almost always 10, 20% more engaged as a cohort than the average employee. And executives are almost always more positive about their employee experience and their office experience. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But what it means is when executives make decisions about return to office, if they don't do so with really good data from their organization about how employees feel and what employees need to be productive, they're going to make a biased decision about their own experiences. They're going to roll back that anywhere work strategy. They're going to pull everyone back to the office and they're going to see people be less productive, less engaged, and they're going to see retention problems 
problems. So we know that that's happening. And we've watched that tension sort of unfold as we've seen really high profile companies. You think of financial services companies that have been in the headlines for bringing all of their employees back to the office. And then you look at organizations like Apple that started to have a return to office strategy and then rolled it back because their employees pushed back on it and said, this is not what we want or need. And then you look at organizations like Microsoft who have said, you know what, we're gonna have a remote and flexible strategy for the foreseeable future. We don't have any intent to fully bring people back to the office. So there've been really different approaches to this. And I'll just go back to something Betsy said that I think is the most important piece of advice I can give any organization right now, which is stop reading the headlines, Stop listening to what other people are doing. It's like what your mother always said, right? Focus on your own work, focus on your own stuff because you need to know your organization, your employees, your customers, and make really good decisions based on that data and not worry so much what everyone else is doing. So that's really the thing that's happening right now is I think a lot of organizations are, are waiting for some best practice to emerge so they can be good followers and do what everyone else is doing. And that's not the right answer. The right answer is for your business to thrive, you need to craft a plan that's right for the productivity of your employees in their context, in their industry, with your customers, and all of the things you're trying to do and not worry so much what other people are doing. Exactly, because, um as you as you said earlier, Katie, when people don't have the information or when they're kind of unclear or uncertain about what to do, they're just going to default into what they did in the past. And what they did in the past is relying on people being in the office as a proxy for productivity. It's the kind of presenteeism. Um, and a lot of a lot of our conceptions about what the office is for really it really has the opportunity now to change right we can use the office or communal spaces to get together for other purposes than getting our our work done right there is um i know a lot of people i think in like the 2010s were really obsessed with open plan workspace environments but in 2018 there was a study done at harvard about those open floor plans that showed basically when they when an office was reorganized into an open open floor plan the face-to-face -face communication dropped by 70 percent it really people just reverted to typing over email and putting their headphones on so they could actually focus and get their own work done. And so the return to work or the return to the office trend is, I think it's just a sign of people not knowing exactly what the path forward should look like because they don't have the data they need from their own employees to really tell them and help chart a path. And so they're just reverting to what they thought worked in the past, but really what worked in the past is probably not true for everyone. As Katie, what you said, executives usually have a very different view of what worked in the past versus the workers or employees. Right. I also think there's nostalgia going on, and we've talked about this before on our team, that there's nostalgia for an office experience that never actually existed. This idea that we're sort of merrily bumping into each other in the kitchen and having company changing brilliant ideas in those conversations. And that never really existed. 
And it certainly isn't going to be recreated by forcing people to come back into an environment where in a lot of ways they don't have things they need to be productive. So I also think that as we look at different organizations, you know, we've talked a little bit about the knowledge worker experience, but we also have frontline workers and folks who are in the field all day. We've got folks who are traveling and doing a lot of customer facing work. There's a lot of different ways to work these days. And again, that's just why if you look broad brush at a trend, if you look at things like the great resignation as a trend or the quiet quitting as a trend or employee power as a trend, even thinking about a trend that's happening, you're going to be wrong about how it applies to your specific environment if you don't have that data to know what's happening in your world, in your ecosystem. There's no trend that impacts everyone the same way. And so as we think about that in context, we need to know what are we trying to do as a business? How are we relating to our customers? How are we relating to our employees? And then what are the best choices we can make to support the productivity and capability of those people in doing that work, whatever that work is, however it looks. All right. Well, this is a great discussion and I want to circle back to where we started this conversation, which is in 2023, we are, facing a balancing act between employees' expectations and the economic uh, turbulence that we're experiencing. And what that comes down to is that there's a bit of balance of power too, right? We see layoffs, even though for the previous two years, we've been talking about employee power. So maybe the predictions had a lot of great advice that we just talked about, but you know, we might want to clarify what we mean about the balance of power as we're going into this, because when you see layoffs, you're not seeing employees having a whole lot of power. I think there's a really important distinction to think about, which is employees and CEOs worry about really different things. If you're an employee, what are you worried about? You're worried about keeping your job in a recession. If you're an executive, you're worried about your company's viability. You're worried about not just laying off one or two people, but potentially having to let go a significant number of these people, potentially losing your place in the market. The stakes are really high. So executives are very concerned about the viability of their company, and they're making hard decisions every single day about how to do that. They're not sitting in their executive boardrooms rubbing their hands saying, how can we lay more people off? That's just not how the conversation works. They're making difficult decisions about their strategy, how they're going to compete, how they're going to be resilient, how they're going to maintain their viability and their competitiveness through this process. And I think one of the problems in the conversation is that a lot of employees don't know how that conversation works. There's not a lot of transparency. And so they don't have a real understanding of what the dynamics are, what the decision points are. They may never have been in a situation of being a company executive and having to do that work. And so as much as I think we've talked about having empathy for employees, and we should, I think we also need to have empathy for executives through this process who are trying to figure out the best path forward 
who are trying to make good decisions and who are trying to do so with the best interests of their employees in mind, but also with an understanding that sometimes they do have to make these hard choices. So we're not suggesting no company should ever lay anyone off. We're not suggesting that every company should, you know, go wild on their spending. It's that companies need to recognize that some of these dynamics actually have a significant impact on that productivity in a way that they may not totally understand. So in the same way that employees don't necessarily understand what execs are worried about, execs may not necessarily understand the dynamics of human behavior and motivation that are impacted by some of the decisions that they make. So that's really from an employee power perspective, how I think about the conversation is if we could drive better understanding about what each party is worried about, we would probably end up in a better place with better conversation. So you guys have convinced me that 2023 is going to be a giant recalibration of a lot of stuff that's happened the last couple of years, uh, both in our economy and our employee experiences. So uh, thanks for this great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.